Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian, Brian Colbert, Colbert Kennedy. Okay. This is the podcast where we bend the motherfucking arc of history towards a more livable planet for you and for me and for everybody else until coronavirus gets us. We're diving into a specific question affecting everyone on the planet that's still alive right now. Mm-hmm. If it can kill us or make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everybody, we are in. In. Uh, our guests have been scientists, uh-huh. doctors, CEOs, engineers, politicians, astronauts, irreverent ones. Mm-hmm. And we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice and their vote and their dollar. This is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also, I'm going to do this one like you, um, you can also join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. So helpful. Thank you. And of course, if you do enjoy this content, and why would you? uh, And if you'd like to support all of the hard work that goes into it, all of the money and the time that goes into it, and the thought and care, we do actually care. Of course. uh, You can become a premium member for just five bucks a month at importantnotimportant.com slash shitgiver. You will get ad-free episodes. You'll get our fun talk conversations, uh, an exclusive audio version of our weekly newsletter you can listen to on your commute, even if your commute's only six minutes long. Uh, You'll get caught up on everything, and you'll get a discount on merchandise at our store. And that's importantnotimportant.com slash shitgiver for those who give a shit, and that'll be in your show notes as well. This week's episode asks, do we really know what's in that face moisturizer? Hmm. And where the hell did it come from? You know who has the answers? Greg. Guest. Yeah. yeah. Greg Renfrew. And she is using her company, Beauty Counter, to expose the complicated ingredients and even more complicated supply chain of the beauty world uh, and help uh, lead the way towards a more free and clear future for our faces and our bodies. And holy hell, after what we learned, I am game. She is wonderful. Company seems awesome. You've already bought a bunch of beauty counter stuff. I bought, I really did. <laughs> Let's go talk to Greg. <laughs> All right. Our guest today is Greg Renfrew. And together we're going to ask, what exactly are we putting on our bodies? What are we putting on our face? And why is no one asking uh, questions about it? Uh, one woman is, and we're excited to talk to her about it today. Greg, welcome. Thanks for having me. For sure. Thank you for being here. Uh, can we get going by you just telling everybody wh- who you are and what you do? <laughs> do you have an hour? Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm Greg Renfrew. I'm the founder and CEO of Beauty Counter. And we are a brand that is focused on beauty products, but we are really a movement to change the beauty industry and to get safer products into people's hands across North America. That really, sounds incredible. It didn't take an hour. That was easy. No, I mean, I didn't know if you really wanted to hear all, you know, my life story or just a few. Uh, little we're going to get into it. Yeah, we'll get into stuff. Yeah, it's going to be great. Don't worry, that don't was worry. a very nice, succinct I know, I got to work on that. Oh, I don't God, you talk so much. I, uh, just, can we get? Anyway, Greg, um, so as a reminder to, I think we just told you, but uh, to everyone else also, uh, we're going to go over some context uh, for our topic today. Uh, and then uh, get into su- some specifically action-oriented questions that get to uh, the the heart of why we should give a shit about you and what you do and what we can all do uh, uh, to support you. Sound good? Sounds great. Rock and roll. Um, so, Greg, on the topic of your life story, we don't usually delve too much into that, but we do like to ask one question that sort of sets the tone for the day. So, Greg, 
if you could, could you just uh, explain to us why you feel like you're vital to the survival of the species? <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay. Um, why am I vital to the survival of the species? Well, I think that the work that I'm doing today is really focused on eradicating toxic chemical exposure in skincare and personal care products. But it's also really about living a clean life and to try to get toxic chemicals out of our environment at large. And I think when you look at what's happening and what is currently being done that is both detrimental to the earth and human health, I think that it would, I think it's safe to say that if someone's not doing something about these issues, uh, that we're going to be in a very, uh, in, a, in an even more difficult spot than we find ourselves in today. So I think I am relevant for those reasons. She, I think we, she's hired. I think that's it. Yeah. Great. Good, You're in charge now. I'm relevant because I decided to step up. I love it. Must, it's great. It's great. Love it. All right. So listen, uh, I'm going to do just a quick little context. Sometimes these things are longer. Sometimes these are shorter. Uh, sometimes it's why are we having this conversation from our perspective, which is kind of what uh, I guess to frame this one is, which is, you know, the beauty industry, um, maybe not exactly what people expect when they come to the show, but that is the entire reason for us doing it today, which is two mid-30s cis white guys uh, talking about these things. And I'm only half kidding because our listeners know we are very happy and eager to to humble ourselves before shit we have exactly zero knowledge on. So we do our best to bone up ahead of time, but trying to boldly go where not a whole lot of dudes have gone before, which seems to be exactly what the problem is here. Um, I mean, personally, I feel like, and I don't know about you, Brian, I, I started using, for example, face moisturizer for the first time about five years ago. And L- then, even less for me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, are you about to run downstairs and buy the, your first? No, I have some stuff. I have some, okay. some eye cream. Uh, the point is like, I, I am almost immediately got yelled at though, because of the time we're in and because of people like Greg, um, by a friend because I was using some delightfully packaged stuff from a well-known brand, but it had about 500 probably toxic ingredients <laughs> on the label. And I was told I was not allowed to do that anymore. So that was one product on, on one guy, but the beauty industry is currently raking in and, and please correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, it's about $90 billion in the U S alone. Is wow. that, is that right? Yeah, I think it's more like 80, but you know, in that, in that range for sure. It's large. Damn. Um, so I, I can't imagine. I mean, I watch my my wife try to deal with it and both like deal with her own issues, try to do the right thing for her body, use stuff that actually also works for her, uh, and at the same time try to do the right thing for the world. Like th- this labyrinth of, of of choosing beauty and and personal care products for people who who use more of them because they choose to or because they need them, um, or for people who've been. You know, like people of color have been most ignored by the big companies for, for so many years. Um, but there's been this big revolution this past decade of we're paying so much more attention to, for example, what we're putting into our bodies, right? Food. Everybody's got an opinion on GMO or not. Like this is all right. good stuff, but but so much less to what we're putting on our bodies. But our, our guest, thankfully, uh, has been stirring shit up since she lost her company uh, almost a decade ago. And you started with banning, I believe, about 1,800 ingredients and stalking Capitol Hill to push for even more institutional change. So I, I, I want to use all that to get to our topic today. Um, and Greg, if I could, I wanted to save one last bit of context for you. Could you tell us the last time the U.S. beauty industry was regulated in any way? What year was that? 
So the last time we passed a major law regulating the cosmetic and personal care industry, it was in 1938 under the Federal Food, Drugs, and Cosmetics Act of that FDR put forth in 1938. Great, great. So 1938. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of all the things that have happened since then. <laughs> and, uh, it's, all uh, of the things. It's a bit. So what did that specific regulation actually establish? And then what isn't regula- regulated today? So I think at the end of the day, if you look at the one and a half pages of legislation that now govern our 80 plus billion dollar personal care industry, what what's in it is insufficient. And we can go into the details, but probably not worth it. It's probably more important to talk about what is not currently included in the legislation that yeah. stands today. And, and I think there are a couple of very important factors. And I think that the American consumer is misled or assumes that that these things are actually happening, that they're not. So the first is that the FDA is not screening chemicals for safety before they are put in the products that are put on the shelves and sold to all of us in the US, which is not the same thing as in the food industry. So there's no regulation on materials. There is no regulation over the claims that are being made by companies. So I could, in theory, say that we're all natural or pure or botanically based or made of aloe or whatever you want when there may be none of the above may be true. And there's no regulation that's actually looking at the claims being made. And then the third and probably arguably most important detail that is missing in the current legislation is the FDA does not have the ability to recall product. So while you are like, for example, if you're in the food industry and there's an outbreak of salmonella or something, they would immediately pull all those products from the shelf. On On the personal care side, they can suggest a recall, but they cannot enforce a recall, even if there are Pretty significant, you know, health, uh, you know, adverse health uh, um, consequences from uh, the ingredients or the products, and and we've seen many cases where there've been up to twenty thousand, you know, reported cases of permanent hair loss in a hair care line, as an example, and they can't do anything about it. So it is absolutely time for cosmetic reform. That's may I mean, may I please I, ask how the hell that is possible? How 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 how? I mean, I feel like this. Holy shit. In, but before we get into what I feel like the, the how is is because of probably who's in charge. I mean, just again to 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 paint pictures for people, like you said, let let's uh what was it? What what kind of lettuce was it a couple months ago that got uh, over Christmas that got Romaine. Romaine, right? So uh, we get a couple salmon, I believe it was salmonella cases, a couple salmonella cases, and they're immediately like, get it the fuck off the shelves. As, as quick as you can and telling everybody uh, public service announcements, don't buy it if you do see it every, you know, everywhere. So, but with beauty, it seems like, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, not only do we not know that those things are happening, then there's also no mechanism to, to pull them back. Is that correct? That is correct. Great. Per- <laughs> fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah. So get, Getting to the the fact of the matter, and this is really just a, a theme of our show. You know, again, we're we're a couple of white guys who shouldn't be in charge of anything. Um, but you know, we we try. Our guests are are seventy seventy eight percent women or people of color. Uh, but that is not uh, representative of the people in charge. So, does this lack of any sort at nineteen thirty eight eighty something? Does this lack of any sort of a, accountability over 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 eight decades? It seems 
to me, would have something to do with the people who've been in power this entire time, which is white men who 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 are like, yes, please go go put on your powder and and sell your Tupperware. It, do you feel like that is the fundamental issue, or or what what are we barking up the wrong tree? Look, I think that's that, that's part of it. I mean, I think at the end of the day, there are a couple things. I, I think that you know, for for many decades companies were utilizing ingredients in formulations that they at the time had no idea might be harmful to health. So I don't think mm-hmm. that it necessarily started with any malintent. I think mm-hmm. that, you know, we you know, we've introduced over 80,000 chemicals into commerce since World War II and less than 10% of them have been tested for safety for human and environmental health, period. Full wow. stop, not just in our industry, just in right. general. So I think that people have found ingredients and chemicals that have driven performance and products and they they didn't, you know, think about if you go back in time and you think about tobacco, you think about smoking, right? There was a point in time where people didn't yet realize that there was actually anything wrong. And then obviously very quickly, people started getting sick. The one problem with personal care products is that unless you're actually allergic to you know, an ingredient and fra- fragrance, and unless you have an immediate allergic reaction, you may be putting something on your skin, you know, or under your arms for many, many decades, and you you might not realize that it's doing anything harmful to health. So I don't I don't think that people necessarily thought in the beginning that these ingredients were harmful to health. I think what's what's happened now is you have yes, you've got some of the wrong people running the companies for sure, and you've got some you know you know you've got a self regulated council and the personal care products council. So they've they've created a a trade association that lobbies in Washington to advocate that, you know, that all the products and ingredients are safe and they're going against what the consumer needs. So there is that part of it. But I also think that it's an incredibly complicated business. I knew nothing about it. I didn't come from the beauty industry. I'm not a big beauty person and it's complex. And so I think it's also difficult for, you know, with many of these companies being large publicly traded companies and demands by shareholders in the capital markets to change a formulation and to take out three or four ingredients completely changed the entire product. And so it, it's complicated. You know, it's not just that these guys are all assholes. I mean, that that, that is part of it. it, sure, it sure. But I think it's also just a really, really complicated, complex issue. Yeah. I mean, it, it almost, you know, we, we're dealing with this issue out here where writers, uh, the, the agencies... Uh, we're we're in this battle with them because the agencies have done this packaging thing uh, where they've been basically stealing our money for for 30, 40 years, and we just finally caught up with it. And the problem is is now, as we're choosing to fight them on it, is that it's almost too far gone. Like for them to not do this practice anymore would would in in a lot of ways really disrupt their whole businesses because they've been building them not for 5 or 10 years but for 40 years and and like you said at the beginning it seems like beauty uh not just the people in charge no one really knew what they were what these things were made of or what the ingredients were do i mean shit this was 38 but like 7 8 years after we just discover penicillin right <laughs> i mean it's it's we're in a very new era then Early days, like yeah. pre pre new era but at some point people know what they're doing and then the problem is after they know what they're doing, like you said, it becomes very complicated. These things become uh, such a big part of the business that that if you're one of these huge conglomerates, taking four ingredients out is is a massive process. Yeah. It's uh, which which you have to empathize with a little bit, even though we still need to do it, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's yeah. I mean, I don't think it's like I, I always say this, and I shouldn't say this publicly, but I do. It's sort of like Coke all of a sudden trying to make healthy Coke. Right. Well, you know, sure. the consumer has an expectation of that that sort of sparkly, you know, 
feeling in their mouth and the taste and the texture and the color and all that. And and so they've made, you know, maybe at one point in time, Coke knew that that was super, thought it was super safe. Now, now they had that expectation. And now to try to create healthy Coke is very difficult. And I think that's the same for many of these beauty brands and personal care companies. They've, you know, we all as consumers have become accustomed to the performance or the scent or the texture. And now sure. they got to figure out how to do it with a totally different set of ingredients. It's not that easy. Yeah. yeah and to be fair, not everybody feels this way about what they're putting on their body or what they're putting in their body. Not everybody really gives a shit that the Impossible Burger is going to stop people cutting down the Amazon. They just want their fucking Whopper. Lots of people just want their Coke. And they just want their Coke and they just want to put on that that lip gloss that looks amazing or that shampoo that feels amazing. Even if, you know, they don't, they can't pronounce three quarters of the words. Like, they don't really give a shit. And that's a lot more people than I think we realize. But they are going to leave that brand if they make something that doesn't work as well or doesn't taste as good. For sure. And I think, look, I think one of the biggest things that we've done at Beauty Counter from day one is focus on education. Because I think at the end of the day, armed with information, people do make better choices. But in our industry, no one was talking about this until we launched the company. And most Americans still have no idea that there are chemicals of concern in the products that they use. They may know that someone's chopping a tree down in the rainforest, and they may or may not care about that issue. But I think if they really thought that it was going to harm their baby or that they were going to, you know, be, you know, you know, ultimately get some sort of, I don't know, cancer from this or not have to struggle with fertility. And and there was a and there was a choice out there that delivered the same performance and was just as sexy and you could still look great on Friday night and you still didn't smell after, you know, the sports event you were in or whatever. I think people would right. make those choices. But right now they don't even know that they need to make a choice because no one is telling them the truth. And I think that was the first thing we set out to do is mm-hmm. how do we arm you with information, not make you feel badly about the things you've done up till now because you didn't know. Now you know, now you can do better. And I do think more times than not, people will do better if there's a solution that works. But you know, prior to launching Beauty Counter, there weren't a whole lot of things out there that were working for consumers and no one was talking about it. Right. Wild. I want to talk about uh, ingredient sourcing. You know, sort of like the cobalt that's been uh, historically mined by child child labor in the in the DRC. Uh, it, and it's a primary and essential ingredient in you know every phone battery and uh, electric car and everything else. One of the beauty industry's essential ingredients is is a labor nightmare. Um, can you tell us about that? Are you talking about mica? Mica. Mica. Yeah. So, you know, I think, you know, as a leader brand, I think, and and very, you know, the, our mission is our, is our true North Star. And I think there are a lot of brands out there claiming clean and for sure restricting ingredients of concern is one way to achieve you know, clean status. But for us, we really wanted to take things way farther than that and look up and down our supply chain and drive for radical transparency in supply chain, which is really, really complicated because there are so many ingredients and derivatives of ingredients in every single, you know, product that people use. And so we we decided to tackle one where we knew um, that there was some there was some sort of fishy information out there. So about two years ago, we set forth to try to understand exactly where all of our mica was coming from. And for people who don't know much about mica, mica is a mineral that is okay. widely used in cosmetics. It gives all that sparkle or luster in eyeshadows or sometimes when, when someone has like uh. a lip gloss or even a cream that has just a little bit of like a a shimmer to it of any way, you know, those products use mica. It's also more widely used in electronics and auto, in the auto industry. I mean, we only use about 17% in beauty. We only use about 17% of the mica supply and the rest of it is being used in paint, auto parts, et cetera, et cetera. But 
back to our story with Micah, we felt that you know we were being being given information by all of our suppliers, but we just felt like these pieces of paper that said that it was you know in in legal minds or whatever. It, we just we just didn't really believe it because all the it wasn't all adding up, and so we decided to set forth to better understand what was going on. And so we we started with phone um, auditing of our of our manufacturers, and then actually physically going. To the actual mines, and I think we were the first beauty brand in 40 years to show up, like in Jakarta, in India, uh, in these places to actually look. And you know what we saw wasn't pretty. And I think what we decided as a company was to help bring the consumer along this journey with us to say, look, we know that children are being used, that there's that there's that there's wage theft, that there are people being coerced into mines, there are children being used to mine this mica. And instead of walking away from it or just saying, we're going to use synthetic mica, which some of the beauty brands are doing, we said, look, we need to get to the root cause. These people still need to eat. There are no other economic opportunities, but how do we ensure that kids are in school and not worrying about death? And how do we create you know, a new way of doing business there that actually represents the kind of brand that we want to be and that I think our our clients would be proud of, you know, no one wants to think about a child in a mine. And so how do we help work with those communities to come to get to the root cause and and create real change? And that's what we're doing right now. And first of all, I mean, that's awesome. And and yeah. uh, obviously applaud you guys for being so proactive about it when no one else had even started to consider that. You guys made did you make a documentary about this whole thing? Is that we did? Miss- <clears throat> yes, we did. We just recently launched a film called Transparency, which is a short documentary on the industry and some of the work that we're doing on the ground ourselves in a, in a group called Source Map that is actually helping large companies uh, trace. You know, they've they've worked in coffee and they've worked in cocoa. We're they're now this is their first foray into beauty to really help us figure out exactly where all of our raw materials are coming from, uh, where our mic is coming from. And we and we just launched that and it's been it's been incredible because I think at the end of the day, our entire industry has been built on secrets and we're the brand that's saying, no, we're going to tell you exactly what's going on. And mm-hmm. yes, as a consumer, you can choose to support our brand or not, but you need to know exactly what's going into the products and what you're putting on your body and what's happening up and down the supply chain as it, as it, you know, as it relates to everything from the people to you know, our car- carbon footprint, et cetera. Sure. And and again, like where that parallels food is, there's so many people now. Thankfully, the the tide is certainly growing of people who really care, like where their food come from, and how it grows, and what goes yeah. into it, whether it's antibiotics or not. But you know, again, there's always going to be this large chunk of people who just don't give a shit that their their burger was you know raised in a pen with with a thousand other burgers, and how many drugs were pumped into it because they don't want to pay more for it and they just want this. So I, I imagine that has not been easy. What what were, I guess, some of your successes and, and obstacles in confronting the Micah? Mika? Sorry. Micah. 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 Like, what were your, what were your big roadblocks you really ran into in, in trying to do this? And then how did you guys start to solve this for yourself? Because it, it seems like, and again, not any knowledge besides what you've told us, uh, it seems like this ingredient is used in quite a lot of stuff. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's, you know, it's used in a, a lot of our products, but it's used, you know, all over industries. And I think that we're we're also going to be calling on the auto manufacturers and electronics companies to to team up with us to really focus on eradicating child labor and to try to create better conditions for the communities that that support the mica industry. You know, I think in terms of some of the roadblocks, I mean, first of all, 
you know, just getting the raw material suppliers with whom we work to admit that there are partially legal mines being used and to acknowledge that we need to do audits and to physically allow us access to the mines. We we still haven't completed that because we've been blocked by certain people who don't, you know, they don't want us to get gain access because they know that that will force them to change. So, I mean, there are, you know, there are, you know, legal issues within India. There are, you know, there's a lot of that sort of undercurrent of, I mean, I don't want to say crime because that's probably not the right word, but it's, you know, there's a lot of shady dealings going on out there and a lot of people not telling us the truth. And so it's it's dangerous work. It's literally dangerous work physically, but it's also dangerous in that you can put yourself in some pretty sketchy situations. And so we're trying to make sure that we do this, that we navigate these really murky waters, but don't put our entire our, our, our team at risk of their lives, mm-hmm. you know, while we're trying to navigate this and trying to, you know, hold people accountable for telling us the truth um, when it's very easy for them to find the loopholes. They can, they can claim, for example, that, that's, that they're, I'm going to make it up, that they're going to deliver you 100 pounds of mica. I make, I'm mm-hmm. completely making up this scenario. But then they, they'll... They can actually like fill part of that with something that they didn't really claim. It's not really in the paperwork. It's really hard to trace because it's in really remote areas in Brazil and in India and Japan. So mm. it's not like it's it's not right front and center for you to be able to find it. So yeah. it's complicated. Yeah. Have you wow. had to build out sort of a SWAT team of people that can actually assess those claims and as you're trying to be as transparent as possible? Like what does that mean for for beauty counters operations? You know, it's, it's, you know, one of the things that we've had, we have a team dedicated not just to this, but to our social and environmental mission, sustainability and all of this. So we do have a team on the ground here that is fully dedicated to this. We did partner with SourceMap because we really knew that, that mm-hmm. through their technology, they could help us trace this. They said it's the most complicated supply chain they've ever tried to tackle. And we're also oh. working on the ground with um, a foundation um, founded, um, the Kailash Foundation, uh, Satiri Sayarti, I was guess name, Kailash Sayarti, who won the Nobel Peace Prize for really freeing children and, and being an advocate for children to live free lives in India. Um, and globally, there are 73 million children that are that are being forced into labor. And so he we really needed an on-the-ground partner who knew the communities, who understood what was actually going on there. And so all of us have teamed up to work on this together. That's awesome. I mean, it seems like that's necessary, right? It's not, you can't just roll out a few people from, from beauty counter and expect to tackle something of this breadth and complexity. No, and it's going to take a really long time. And we, you know, as, as Lindsay Dahl, who runs social and environmental responsibility said to us, you know, you can either wait till it's all perfectly ticked and tied and delivered to everyone in a bow in, you know, 10 years time, or you can acknowledge where we are today and bring the consumer along the journey with us. And we felt as a company focused on authenticity and transparency and mission, it was better to tell the truth of where we are today and show the progress over time and have and ask others to join us in helping to fix this problem. I love it. I mean, it just, you know, bring people along for the journey as much as you can. I, I think that's, transparency doesn't mean you're doing it perfectly. Transparency right. means we're working as hard as we can and it's fucking complicated and this is where we are and this is where we'd love your help and your support. Right. I always admire, you know, Patagonia, who's been doing this for, for so long, but they're they're so in your face about it in the best ways. You know, they're like, don't buy our shit. And if you and if you <laughs> buy it and it breaks down, like bring it in and, and we'll fix it. And of course they're not perfect either. But man, uh, you know, you you it again, not everybody thinks this way, but it, it certainly inspires me to go like, well, that's where I'm gonna buy my shit. 
For sure. Why is it so I mean, rare? I, you know, I, I, I am a huge advocate for Patagonia. We we have a real affinity for that company and a good relationship with them. And I certainly looked at some of the things that they've tackled and the way in which they've done it as a as a good benchmark for success and and being transparent with the with their clients and the consumer. But you also have to, you know, again, empathize with some of these really, really, really big companies, which Patagonia is a big company. They've been around for forever, but they're not, you know, as massive as some of these conglomerates. And and you you have to ask, yeah, oh, but is that model of like hyper transparency and sourcing and care, is that scalable to the size of some of these things? And I don't know, you know, uh, you know, they started their whole Patagonia provisions thing, which is all their uh, this this food stuff they're doing on the side, and it's so hyper sourced, it's it's amazing. But again, you know, if that was owned by General Mills, how much of that goes out the window? No comment. Yeah, fair. <laughs> So let's turn back to the actual toxicity of what uh, we're putting on our bodies. You guys, did you start off banning these, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, 1,800 ingredients? Is that a list that was evolved over time? How did this kick off? Because you said you didn't come from a beauty background. No, so I did Give not. us a little education on that. Um, so when we started the company, we focused, yes, we've always had... I think we were the first to publicly, you know, post the never list, which was a list of restricted ingredients, which started out at about fourteen or fifteen hundred in the beginning, and now we've taken it up a notch, and it's now eighteen hundred. There are other companies that will claim that they've taken even more ingredients out, but we we genuinely believe that we're looking at the ingredients that are actually being used in personal care products, and you know, you I could say we took out twenty thousand ingredients, but at the end of the day, probably you're not putting some of these ingredients into personal care products in the first place, and you know, over time we've screened, you know, I don't know, well over a thousand ingredients for safety, chemicals for safety. We look at 23 different endpoints. We're looking at everything from, you know, environmental impact, human health, allergens, you know, I mean, you name it. We're looking at all different aspects of why an ingredient is or is not safe for human health and for the environment. And we used that list and, and we iterated on it every single day to make sure that those chemicals are not chosen in the formulations for our products. And it's very complicated and it's a very arduous process for us. And also for the, the partners who make our actual goop, they, you know, they, they used to call us brutal counter because we had so many <laughs> restrictions. We were asking for the same performance. We were like, look, we need you to drive innovation and performance as well as the leader traditional brands, the incumbents, but we also need you to do this without all of these ingredients. Right. And people still need to get in the shower and say, man, this shampoo's fucking great. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's got to be a tough one. So uh, along the way, it's been how, Beauty Counter 2013. Is that right? That's when Ish? we launched. Yeah, I, we started working on it in 2011. We we launched in March of 2013. So we're coming up on our seven-year itch next month. Oh, oh boy. I believe in you guys. Lucky you can hold seven. it together. Um, has... Has like you said, I mean, you were you were nicknamed Brutal Counter. Has the company had setbacks? Have has the company suffered at times because of this uh, dedication to transparency and the inability to include some of these ingredients? I mean, did you did you have a hard time uh, at times? Are you still having hard times at times to replacing some of these bad boys? No, it's been so easy all the way through. <laughs> Perfect. Listen, this has been great. See you later. Day one. Yeah. We have bad days every day. We just had to, yeah, I mean, 
this week has been a bad week. I mean, every day is, it seems like it's a bad day. So I would say, I, I'll, I'll give one example. We created an entire line of color cosmetics and we're about to go to market and announced it to you know everyone that we were launching. This this is now years, you know, years back. And we ran a test and it tested incredibly high for heavy metals, which is something that we, you know, is actually some, those are naturally occurring, but they are actually some of the worst things for your body. And so mm. we ended up having to batch the entire line of color cosmetics and start from scratch oh. and, and, and delayed that launch for, you know, another 18 months. So Jesus. yes, we've had these problems. We've missed product launches over and over again. We've had stability issues at times in the past where we tried new preservative systems and, you know, they didn't work as well as we had hoped. But, you know, that's what you have to do as a leader is you've got to take those risks. And you, I think what, what we've always, I think in some ways people, they honor us with their business because of the fact that, that we're doing the, the hard work that no one else is doing. And they know that that comes with disappointment sometimes. And sometimes it just takes a lot longer. Like we've been trying to launch deodorant for like five and a half years. And mm, if wow. we can't drive performance and safety simultaneously, we just won't launch it. So it's not easy, but it's worth it. And I think that that's right. part of the reason the company has grown so quickly and so successfully is because people believe that they know... You know, I always say this, we have so many flaws as a company, but the one thing that people do know is that we are really walking the walk and we are authentic in our desire to make this world better and to make the safest products we can. Two questions, follow-up questions. One, could you explain to us what color cosmetics are? <laughs> you, oh, I'm sorry, Brian, are you oh, laughing? On. How about Brian? How about you explain? <laughs> it's just a funny sounding question. Okay, color cosmetics are like, like your lipstick and your powders. It's so great. It's things like blush and eyeshadow and, you know, the things that, you know, you know, okay. the girls that have sex with on Friday night, were probably wearing that kind of thing. <laughs> that, was a long time. that was a long time ago. Now I get it. <laughs> Back in the day, they always said it was a long time ago that you had sex on Friday nights. Well, anyway, when you were oh, going on with Jaden, some girl has some sparkly cheeks. That, that's what I'm talking about. Got it. That's Thank you for putting it on my level. That's very helpful. <laughs> Look, okay, I, I mean, we can make assumptions over yeah. here all day, but the chances are, like most things <laughs> when we talk to people, is that we're going to be wrong. So yeah. I appreciate you yeah. taking yeah. it down to I our level. Blush, those types of things. <laughs> um, so, I mean... It, my brothers were, were did uh, they just they sold a, a health food company recently and and I've always sort of worked more on the digital side and and I think about like you said how you've you've had to scrap entire lines you've pushed back product launches like deodorant's been a fucking nightmare but you're not going to do it unless you're able to do it to your level when you're making physical products versus an app you're dealing with cash flow because you have to pay to make these products in order to put them out in the world as opposed to you know, the law of uh, wonderful reverse law of diminishing returns of digital, which is you sell one and that's your cost of goods sold. You sell a billion of them and, and all you're doing is profiting. So ha has cash flow been a huge issue for you guys as you're dealing with that sort of thing? No, I mean, I think at the end of the day, we had to raise a lot of capital to really build this business out. So we've invested a huge amount of money. So we've never had a "Quote unquote cash flow issue." I probably would have say we have an I have an equity issue, and then I don't own as much of my <laughs> right. company as, as I would have could have should have had I not had to go raise capital to support our efforts. You know, right. but in, 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 so so yes and no. I mean, sure. no, and that we raised sufficient funding when we were um, a younger company and needed to, you know need that because we weren't you know profitable. Now now I feel like it's just an investment that we had to make, and you know it is what it is. So. Right, and that, I guess that's the trade-off, right? It it is a trade-off, but it's but it we're it's the whole reason we exist. At the end of the day, 
The world did not need another beauty brand. They didn't need one more line of deodorant or lipstick or sunscreen. What they needed was someone to create a movement for change and to create better, safer products for everyone. And so that's that's the price of the, the business that we entered into. And it's the only reason we entered into the business in the first place. So we're not going to shy away from these efforts in, in an effort to be more profitable or to worry about cash flow. We're trying to change the world. You, you just can't do that by sort of going through things, you know, status quo. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that's really wonderful. You've you spent some time in in, in DC, uh, you know, trying to get shit started. How, how did that all, you know, start basically? From the very beginning, I set out to change the laws. So I think you know, again, as I said a moment ago, it wasn't enough to start a beauty brand. No one needed one more, you know, right. lipstick on the shelf. We've always built our business on three incredibly important pillars, and we've done it from day one. Education, as I mentioned first, armed with information, you have the opportunity to make a better choice. Number two was to use you know products and commerce as an engine for change and to deliver the performance that people have always expected of brands, but with much safer ingredients. And then the third piece of it was advocacy, because no matter how successful we are at Beauty Counter, no matter how much of a movement I can create, we or I shouldn't say I, it's not about me, it's, it's, it's the team at large. It then it then doesn't afford every single citizen of this country or beyond our borders the opportunity to have access to safer products. And in the absence of cosmetic reform, which is the updated updating of legislation, there will be so many Americans that are still unnecessarily subjected to toxic chemicals in the products that they use on themselves, on their babies, on their bodies every day. And that's just not acceptable. So we have been tirelessly advocating for members of Congress to take action on this issue, to update the laws and to protect the American consumer. And it's a big part of who we are and what we stand for. And I think it's probably one of the greatest key differentiators is that we're actually spending as much time in Washington and on our advocacy efforts as we are in trying to formulate great products. Have you, you guys said you started in like 2011-ish. What has progress looked like since then? You know, I think that we have sent, you know, and and or emailed in, you know, over like 140,000 texts and email messages. We have held, um, I think, close to a thousand meetings on the Hill. We've also held hundreds of meetings at the state level, looking, working with state legislators. And I think, you know, when I think about all this, we've also now, when we're about to do it again in May, taken a hundred um, of our of our representatives with us to Washington, representing every single state in the United States to meet with members of Congress to tell their personal stories and why it's time to change the laws. And what I think has been encouraging is, first of all, that you are starting to see movement on the Hill. There have been a couple of bills that have been introduced to the floor. You've got you know, a couple of the senators on the House side and on the Senate side really um, advocating to take action on this issue. And it probably the greatest honor that we've received as a company and myself as an individual is that last November or I guess early December, we were asked to testify in front of Congress. It was the first hearing or only the second hearing that they'd held on cosmetics in 40 years. And we were able to meet with the House of Representatives to testify in front of Congress to say it's time for change. I think that there is bipartisan support for for the reforming the laws and for updating things to the to the benefit of the American consumer. But they haven't completely moved forward, largely due to the fact that there is there are, there are conversations still happening around who has the final stay, the state or the federal government government, mm-hmm. and where does state preemption lie in this conversation? And that they're sort of into the small tactics. But I do I am encouraged that the, that the conversation is happening. 
It's something, Hell right? Yeah. Uh, no, no regulation in eighty years. First, first hearing in, in forty years. I mean, that's that's what a, what wild. Who, 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 who are like some of your allies there? In terms of in DC, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that you know most most of the offices that we've met with on both sides of the aisle. Like, I would say almost all of them agree that that we need to that we need to make changes. So we don't have any like ally in, you know, I mean, obviously, Pallone's office is on the House side is, is, you know, introduced this bill and Senator Collins from Maine and Feinstein from California have introduced the Personal Care Products Safety Act. And so there are there are organizations, um, Senator Murray's that have been more active in this issue than others, Schakowsky, some others. But I think that there's not it's not that we have any specific allies. I think that, that they've all been open to hearing our story and why we think this is important. I think the challenge of getting the, the bills passes really lies in how do we deal with the state side of it. And that's something that they're that they're working through that that they need to figure out their own. That makes sense. Um, and feel free not to answer this if if uh, you're not interested. But I guess in the same breath, are there specific bad actors, companies uh, out, out there who are on your shit list or people you really wish could move the needle if they did the right thing? Of course. I mean, I think that I think that 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 I've been I've been publicly vocal about the fact that I think the Personal Care Products Council is a is advocating that they you know they get up and, and advocate in front of of Congress that they test they all testify to say that all the ingredients are safe and have been screened and we know that that's just not the case. Um, so I think that they are a self regulated industry um, organization that. I don't think is telling the whole story. And behind them, there are some of the larger brands that have, but it's not necessarily just the larger ones. I mean, I, I think it's there are some of the biggest brands that are that are agreeing that their the cosmetic reform needs to happen, whether that's because they believe in it and want it or because they know that to stay, you know, relevant as leaders, they have to change with the times. But either way, there are some of the bigger companies doing it. So it's not just the the older incumbents that are fighting it. It it can be those that are that are, you know that are focused on profit versus the health of the people that they serve. Um, I'm probably not going to tell you who they are because it just doesn't well. <laughs> no, that's fair. I think you did yeah. a pretty good job. We'll take it. Um, so moving, I guess, slowly towards our, our, our action steps. And if we could go back to our quick online conversation and, uh, and Brian's sperm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yes. As indicated, my wife's very excited. My sperm account doesn't exist anymore. Uh, how many of your products are for men? How do we make men really care about this besides just like it's seriously much better for for the world and, and the women in their life and even the women who aren't in their life? Well, that's a great question seeing as I'm not a man. Mm-hmm. Um, well, where have you well, seen I progress? Have you had any... Men, you know? Look, men have mothers, they have daughters, they have sons, they have brothers, they have... Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, if you let, let's just go back to the, the fundamental thing that... that that this entire business that we've built and that people, everyone loves someone and every single person that listens to your podcast or every single person that's walking down the street has been touched directly or indirectly by the health issues we face as a nation. There's no way that I can walk into a room and find someone who doesn't know someone battling cancer, who doesn't know someone who's struggled for, with fertility, who doesn't know someone, or it could be themselves or someone else that has a child with pretty significant health issues. And so I think that 
it's not it so i think that as people we we love life we love our friends we love our family we want to be healthy and so i think if you think about it in that way that you can't tell me that you don't know anyone that hasn't been touched by these health issues, that's where I think we start to sort of connect the dots with people to say, Mm -hmm. okay, look, maybe you do. And and by the way, I'm not saying that if you use a certain aftershave or you use a certain deodorant, that that's going to be the thing that makes that cell go from being healthy to unhealthy. So what I always say is like, look, like try to just be cautious and think about, you know, when you're spraying a certain sunscreen that's got oxybenzone on it, that you're actually killing the coral reefs. And if you don't care about your own body, maybe think about your child's body. And do you want to put chemicals into their bodies? that's harmful. You always say like when people put their kids in the bathtub, or if you take a long bath and you see that you get that, that skin that your, your fingertips look like prunes, like all that water is going into your body and whatever chemical you cleaned that bathtub with or whatever lotion or body lotion or bubble bath that's in, in there or that's about to go on or just went on, like that's going into your body and into your bloodstream. So it does make a difference. And you know, I, I think that I can't I can't convince men to be to take this seriously, but I think at the end of the day they 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 want to be alive and they want the people they love to be around and they want to protect their children just as much as women do. Hopefully, Hopefully. yeah. Uh, it's it reminds me a little bit about when pre Obamacare and the arguments over pre existing conditions and and it I just always felt like there was no way you could you could advocate or vote against supporting people with pre-existing conditions if you had someone like that in your that was suffering in that way in your life. Of course. Like there, there, there's no way you you could person you would be personally denying them insurance right. uh if you didn't. And so I thought, do these people all not know someone that has a pre that that seems impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um or they're just monsters, but they have to care more. And, and it does seem like people have started to turn the corner on that. And, and guys who are traditionally idiots seem seem to be more involved on that front. How, how much of, of Beauty Counter's business is, is centered towards guys? Like, what is available for gentlemen? I'm looking at the counterman line right now. I'm called counterman that is specifically for men. So we have in our core line, um, which is the Beauty Counter line, a lot of the personal care products we have, like the shampoo, body wash, conditioner, soaps, those are gender neutral products. But I think that because the word beauty was in it, some of the men were not as excited. So they were, they were using it in their shower if their wife bought it or their girlfriend <laughs> bought it, but they weren't necessarily buying it themselves. And so we decided to create a line that was specifically made for men. Also because men's skin is different. You know, you all... You may or may not shave, but you know, people, you know, your pores are opened up differently through shaving and you have different skin texture and everything. So we really wanted to make sure that we've created products that were specifically addressed to men as well as those that were just gender neutral products that were for everyone. I've just added to my shopping bag the charcoal body bar. And That's the daily, my favorite. I use that. Expo- oh, really? The charcoal body bar, both the face one, but also the, the the body soap is amazing. And everyone loves that. I mean, and, and again, it's it's interesting because that's something that was made for men, but actually is being used by women all the time. It's my favorite soap. Love it. Um, hey, Brian's smelling better. I, I don't care what you're putting in your stuff. We'll take it. What the? F- <laughs> Come on. Um, hey, uh, Greg, clearly you've got this sense of, of action and that's where we're going to... It, Going qu- just quickly back to your your life, is there? I, I I like this question. Is there a specific relationship you can point to that was a catalyst for m- making you do the things you do, for setting you on your way, stirring shit up? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, 
there were a couple moments of time that I remember that really that really struck me. Um, look, I grew up with a dad who had cancer my whole life. Now he was a smoker, so it's not that I think it was his is because of personal care, but he died when I was 29. So I think I've always had to deal with health issues in my family since I was a little kid. But I think at the end of the day, when I back in 2000, back in 2006, uh, I was running a children's clothing company and I had watched the film An Inconvenient Truth and I had become impassioned with the environmental health movement. And while I was working, I had someone who was a caregiver for my my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, who was the only one I had at the time. And that woman who, uh, Cindy Allard, who was our nanny at the time, was 31 and was diagnosed with a non-HPV-related cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. And she died 11 months later. And I think it was it was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And to watch someone that was so young and vibrant being diagnosed with a disease that wasn't related to anything that they felt was, you know, having spoken to the Mayo Clinic and everything that they felt was environmentally induced was one of the big triggers for me. Uh, There were a lot of different things that happened over a period of time, but that was one of those those things that really stuck with me. And and watching young friends of mine pass away from breast cancer and leaving behind really young children was super devastating to me. And I, I just think as I as I began to realize that these things were happening around me, I just became just both outraged and obsessed with trying to protect my family and everyone that I love. And that's how this all started. It was really about, you know, sharing information and then ultimately knowing that I am the type of person that could do something about it. I love that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, why don't we get into... uh, Let's get her out of here. What? I know. I know. She's got so much to do. You're so, thank you for, very much for being here. Um, let's get into some action steps uh, that, our, that our listeners can take to, to support you and your mission uh, with, their, with their voice and their dollar. Let's start with voice. Uh, what, what, can, uh, uh, you know, what are big, actionable, uh, and specific questions that, that we can all be asking uh, of our representatives uh, in, in support of you? I think a couple of things. First of all, anyone that's that's listening to this that wants to take action can immediately text 52886 and then hashtag better beauty. They can also do they can also do that about Micah. Those texts and those letters and, and phone calls that are listened, you know, you can call a local member of Congress right. or you can just send a text. 52886, hashtag better beauty, is telling your member of Congress that you are asking them to take action on this issue. And that in and of itself can make a difference. I think in terms of, you know, in the for-profit way, and I would not speak specifically to Beauty Counter, um, although I would just say that, you know, every choice you make while you shop the market makes a difference. I don't care whether you're buying a carton of milk, a, a jacket, or you know, uh, underarm deodorant or sunscreen, like at the end of the day, you're voting with your wallet. And I think that supporting brands and asking brands the tough questions, asking them what they're doing, what is their carbon footprint? How are they dealing with sustainability? Are the ingredients that they're using safe? Are the claims that they're making actually valid claims? You can hold the brands that that you support accountable for their actions, their claims. And I think that that's something that I think that increasingly consumers are doing. I wish people did it more often. Um, but I do think that's something that's important. And, and, you know, look, of course, we would love the support of people shopping on beautycounter.com. But also just if you're not, you know, comfortable shopping on beautycounter.com or that's not for you, you can also just shop the market fragrance free and look for companies that are not using parabens and other 
chemicals of concern. Um, we do have something called our never list on our, on our website and you can go to beautycounter.com and look for the never list. You can download that and shop the market with it. Because again, it's not about getting beauty counter products into the hands of everyone. It's about changing the entire industry at large. Sure. Using beauty counter is sort of the tip of that spear. Right. Seems to make a lot of sense. Um, God, that's awesome. That's really helpful. Um, and, uh, so great. That's voice. And I mean, seems, and what about their dollar? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like we just went over there, right? Yeah, Which I think is, so. I mean, look, I think, of course, I'm going to add, of course, I would love it if you shop beautycounter.com. I also think you can, there are other brands that are doing good work. I think you right. just need to ask them the tough questions. And I think if you're shopping in a local city, so, you know, I would say like, there are companies like Burt's Bees that are doing a great job. I mean, it doesn't have to be beauty counter, but, but try to use fragrance-free products and, 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 and again, shop brands that are, that you can ask them the tough questions and they can answer with authenticity that they're doing right. the right thing. Let, let me, let me simplify this as much as possible for someone who might be for the first time looking in their medicine cabinet and going like, shit, I've never thought about this. If, if, if they're not going to download the list and they're not going to go to beauty counters website, but they're going to go into target, what is the one thing like what is the one like starter thing they should oh. start with? Is it like Number fragrance? Number one thing you should do is shop for fragrance-free products because okay. many of the most offensive and harmful chemicals are found in fragrance. And because of the lack of regulation and because of international IP laws, companies are not forced to disclose the ingredients that are used in fragrance. They're known to be trade secrets. And so if you shop fragrance-free brands, you will at least will eliminate, for example, a class of chemicals called phthalates, which are those that are binding that scent to your body. And those are very harmful endocrine-disrupting chemicals that are also found in like vinyl shower curtains and other things. But you oh. don't want those on your body. So if nothing else, shop fragrance-free. Should I stop wearing cologne? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Oh, boy. My yeah, girlfriend and, is not going to be happy about this. And and if you do feel that you need to wear cologne or perfume, um, then I would strongly, strongly suggest that people put it on their clothing and not on their bodies at all. That's oh, helpful. That's a yeah. That's when a you nice said tip. the the ingredients that bind the fragrance yeah, to your body, so send terrible. Like a shiver down my Ugh. spine. But I guess that's literally the point of cologne. Right. I don't think you need to wear cologne, by the way. I think you can be you can be a total man without the cologne. Greg, I am on your side a thousand percent. I've never worn cologne my whole life, and my sweet angel girlfriend wants me to wear it. But now I'm going to tell her, no, no, no. Greg told me not. I to. think you should tell her not that not to, and then you can tell her she can call me if she needs to. Great, <laughs> excellent. Um, that's really helpful. I, I do. Again, we try to get really specific and actionable, and I, I think uh, have you know, there's going to be so many people that do uh, buy beauty counter stuff or, or download list, but having that one thing that they can walk in and go like, oh, what was the yeah, fucking yeah. thing I'm supposed to remember? Oh, right, no fragrance. That's great. And I'm assuming that applies to like laundry detergents yeah, and shit say, like that as well. across the board? I think free, I always say shop free and clear. So, I mean, right. I happen to be a big fan of Seven Generation. I shop their sure. free and clear line. But I think, again, it's, it's, it's those, those fragrances. Again, no dyes, no synthetic fragrance. That, that would be a good start. And, and, and let me just give you one other piece of advice for everyone that's listening. You can prioritize your spend. So what I would call what's called a leave-on product, which is say sunscreen, body lotion, things that are actually absorbed into your skin versus conditioner in your hair that you're going to rinse off. Right. The things that you're putting all over your body and you know, prioritize your spend there. So body lotion, sunscreens would be more important than, I don't know, a little tiny bit of mascara, for example, for a woman. I mean, I think... That's where you want to spend your money is on those things that are actually going all over your skin and all over your body and they're being absorbed into it. That makes sense. That seems to make a lot of sense. Oh, so this is going to be so interesting when you do your deodorant line whenever it happens because, you know, everybody wants their deodorant to smell good. It's coming. Mm. It's coming. Which, 
What's the alternative? What are you going to, like, how are you going to make it smell good? Yeah, wait, what should I buy now? Never mind. <laughs> Please uh, help me. <laughs> I think there are some companies that are making good deodorant today. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would plug Native. I think they've done a good job. I mean, I think there are, there are a couple of them out there, but, yeah. you All know. All right. We'll go on the warpath. We'll see what we can find here. I'm very excited. Okay. That's very helpful. Uh, last couple questions, Greg, and then we're going to get you out of uh, here. Thank you so much. Um, Brian says I'm legally obligated not to call this a lightning round. Because right. Well, it makes sense. She's about to find out. Okay. Uh, Greg, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the first time in my life, in my whole life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you were like, I was probably when I was like five years old that I was lying in my bed and my dad told me I could be anything I wanted to be in the world if I just put enough work into it. That'll Hell do. yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's pretty, pretty wonderful. Fantastic. Uh, Greg, who is someone in your life that's positively impacted your work in the past six months? My executive coach, Khaled Halim. Awesome. Hell yeah. Straightforward. I'm going to get Brian an executive coach. I recently learned about executive coaches. They seem like a good thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. We'll I, I need there fucking anything. There are some really amazing coach. ones, and there are some that they're not. Like I think it really depends. But for me, he has really, really helped me be a stronger leader and to look at things holistically. Yeah. To help me with my leadership, to navigate difficult conversations, and just to be making a better CEO. So he's he's awesome. And that stuff, it's. I mean, again, it's like you know, headspace or calm or anything like that. Like I have the world's greatest therapist. Like you, you're going to go to a gym, right? You're going to pay a trainer. Like what? If there's someone who can help you yeah. do better in, in all these respects, like, why not? I guess you're kind of my coach then. That's a bad Quite idea. Yeah, that's scary. I think, <laughs> day, you know, I think at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what business you're in, you're in the business of people. And if someone's not right. coaching you on how to deal with people, communications, tough conversations, it, it, I mean, look, that's the business you're in. So if you're, you're right, if you're going to the gym, but you're not thinking about that as a business leader, it's, it's hard. You know, you got to sure. keep evolving and learning. She's known us for 57 minutes and yeah. 40 seconds. Yeah. She said that's scary. So yeah. that didn't take very long. Uh, this is our effect on people. Greg, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What is your, I like to call it Greg time? You know, I, I, I think that I, I breathe. I definitely do short meditations. I exercise a lot. I will take a bath in the evenings or I will blast Eminem in my ears or any other. Yeah. Going. It's not swimming around Catalina. I don't swim around Catalina. In Running fact, from sharks. I dip, in the, I dip in the ocean to cool off and that's about as much swimming as I do. I jump in, I just like get in one wave and then I'm out. You got to punch them in the nose, I guess. That's the yeah. thing, right? Waves the sharks? or sharks? sharks? Oh, sharks. Yeah, yeah, sharks. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah <laughs> try that. Let me know how it goes, Brian. <laughs> if you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would it be? We have gotten the spectrum. Prime. We have an Amazon Prime book list, and anybody, any any uh, listener of ours can go to it and actually send the book that you recommend to the White House. Mm-hmm. It's going great. What's that book that I like? That's about. Um, it starts with why. You know, I might send him that because I think it's 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 thinking about the purpose of of work we're doing as opposed to just always being right. That it, it always starts with the why, and I think sometimes we're maybe not always focused on the why. I love that. I think that's great. I feel like I've read that. The one. name of the book is. It starts with why. Oh, start great. With, start with why. It's a love book it. that I love. All right, we will add it and to the list. By the way, I think all of all politicians read it. I don't think it's just it's not just the president. I think they all could they could all take a page out of it and start doing the right thing as opposed to being right, which I think right. a lot of them often do. 
That sounds about good. Everybody's uh, so obsessed Greg, with being right. Uh, last thing, and then you're out of here. Uh, anything else you would like to say, speak truth to power uh, before we let you go? I, I think the only parting message that I would say is that for anyone who is in any business, and it really doesn't matter what business you're in, if you do the right thing, you will be rewarded as a business. And it's not a choice. It's not an either or. They are not mutually exclusive. Doing well and doing good can happen simultaneously. And if more companies don't think about commerce in that way, we will continue to, to on this trajectory of doing things that are detrimental to to the world and to uh, you know our health and society. And I think that there's there's a better path forward. And I think more people need to jump on that path. Awesome. Do the right thing. Love it. I love it. Hey, where can our listeners follow you and Beauty Counter online? Well, you can certainly go to beautycounter.com. Bam. Uh, you can go to Beauty Counter HQ is our Instagram. You can go to Greg Renfrew, my Instagram. And I don't know, we're, we're around. Come visit us. <laughs> Great. We'll find you. Um, I'm going to awesome. get the eye cream. The eye cream? I've decided. Yeah, I'm getting older now and I have bags under my eyes. So I'm going to get the eye cream. It's in That's my shopping number one, cart. The number one product by, bought by men across the board is eye cream. Bam. Really? Wow. I, I mean, Brian nice needs Not just no, a beauty just counter, bags. just in general. Men buy eye cream all the time. Oh, really? Way, don't kid yourselves that guys don't care about how they look just as much as women because you know that they do. Oh, they it's not that they don't care. Idiots. It's just that they're idiots. It's just I don't know what to do. Right. I care, I, I but I'm an idiot. On, I can't comment on the intelligence of, of men. <laughs> you could. You could. We'll do it offline. Um, I can, but I won't. Yes, yeah. perfect. Greg, thank you uh, so much for your time today. This has been really fantastic and enlightening. Um, I hope you don't regret spending the last hour with us. Thank you for kicking your uh, everyone's asses out there, it seems like, uh, across the world, down the supply chain, all the way to Congress. Yeah. We need you, and we need more folks like you. Please so, keep fighting. Thank well, you. Thank you for having me. It was great chatting with you both. Thanks to our incredible guest today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.